welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Rapsodo. Rapsodo, the industry leader in baseball player development technology, has a special offer on their hitting and pitching 2.0 units. Go to rapsodo.com backslash rapsodo hyphen savings and get up to $1,000 off. Trusted by the best in baseball, Rapsodo is used by all 30 MLB teams, 100% of Division I champions since 2010, and 100% of the top 100 prospects in this year's MLB draft. Scott Brown, Vanderbilt's pitching coach and associate head coach, had this to say about Rapsodo. Everyone involved in teaching pitchers this day and age could benefit from owning Rapsodo and using it for immediate feedback to educate their pitchers. Again, save up to $1,000 when you decide to train and build champions with Rapsodo. Visit rapsodo.com backslash savings and take advantage of this great offer. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Our goal every year with the January episodes has been to shine a light on the foundations of optimal living. Hopefully these episodes give you some tips you can implement with yourself personally or with your team. Next up on the ABCA podcast is Major League Mindset's Brandon Geyer. Brandon was drafted and signed by the Chicago Cubs coming out of the University of Virginia in 2010. He made his Major League debut in 2011 with the Tampa Rays. Brandon retired from baseball in July 2020. Because peak performance helped Brandon so much as a player, getting into the profession was always in the back of his mind. He had the opportunity to play for Joe Madden and work with Ken Revisa with the Tampa Bay Rays. He also cites Heads Up Baseball as helping him in high school. In this episode, we cover peak performance, mental health, and fail forward moments. Let's welcome Brandon Geyer to the podcast. Here's Brandon Geyer, uh, Major League Mindset, but Hernan High, UVA, uh, big leagues with the Rays and also the Indians, was drafted by the Cubs. So, Brandon, thanks for jumping on with me. Yeah, Ryan, thanks for having me on. Pumped. What did you think of the Youth Summit? Oh, it was great. Uh, I think it's needed now more than ever. Um, some great minds were there. Um, I haven't talked with you in a while, so good to reconnect with you. And you know what Rob's doing uh, locally and nationally. Rob Haney, that is, um, it is great. And, you know, what's going on with the youth? Um, you know, I feel like those summits like that and really trying to get answers to, you know, keep kids playing baseball, 
especially at the young young level, n- not have that burnout, um, and and just help them with the overall um, stress and pressure that that comes along with it, um, and really try to alleviate and help them with that. Um, so I thought I thought it was great. Yeah, that number pops out when you think about we have 4 million kids that play baseball, and then when they get to the big field, that kicks back to 2 million. So even if you could cut that number in half, you've got a million mm-hmm. more kids playing baseball longer. You know, the byproduct of that is is maybe they don't play high school or college, but they have a good experience, and they want to be mm-hmm. involved with the game somehow. You know, I think mm-hmm. there's some long-term athlete development pieces to all of that. If you can keep kids playing sports longer, they're going to be healthier later mm-hmm. on in life physically they're going to want to work out more so i just think there's a lot of benefits to that where if we can work mm-hmm. from the ground up it just helps the game at every level going forward yeah and i didn't even know about those numbers yeah but you're wild. spot on because if we can continue to impl- have them play as they go up uh, especially high school and whatnot yeah it, it's it, it directly translates to life because it's a game of failure so life there's going to be massive amounts of adversity so if they can play baseball and teach them how to handle that in a good way, but then it's going to translate to to everything that they do. So right right there with you, Tommy John at twelve. <laughs> I mean that was yeah. that was eye opening for me because I mean you, you hear it but you don't. I, I'd never I've never met anybody that had it at, at that age. And I mean, what helped you get through? I mean, uh, walk us through that process a little bit. You you pop your elbow and and just trying mm-hmm. to get back from that. Yeah, um, that was my Reston Herndon Little League days in Northern Virginia. And, uh, you know, back then, pitch counts weren't really a thing. Um, I'd pitch, go play catcher or shortstop the next day. And, you know, you're young, you think you can get away with it. It caught up to me and ended ended my pitching days. Um, But, you know, is what it is. But what helped me get through it, um, good support system, Um, you know, great doctor, great physical therapist. Um, you know, it was a grind. It was a grind. But uh, I think when you have that good support staff, I don't know what your support system around you that encourages you. And, you know, I was still, you know, trying to stay active and do other sports. And it it actually led me to doing um, some other things and getting into school actually more because I had more time on my hands. Um, So it was kind of a blessing in disguise. Obviously, at the time, I thought I was going to be this you know, ace pitcher in the big leagues in that end of the pitching career. But, um, you know, such things happen in life. Um, so you just got to keep pushing through. And that's what I try to do. How long did it take you to get comfortable again with throwing a baseball? Um, I would say at least a year. You know, I think I pitched on and off after that a little bit, but it was never the same for whatever reason. And um, so I just became that position player. But it, it took it took a little bit. Um, but like I said, I had a you know, fortunate, great physical therapist. And maybe because I was younger, I bounced back maybe a little bit quicker than some who are a little, um, you know, older who get it. Um, so it worked out more pliable. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like football helped you? I do. Um, mentality wise, um, I always tell people I had more fun playing football than I did baseball. I mean, I love baseball, but something about football, the, the physicality, um, the the team camaraderie the friday night lights the two-a-day practices like i know it's a grind and people don't like it but i freaking love that stuff um so i think it helped a lot and i think it also helped not playing baseball year round um you know i think that leads to overuse injuries and i know i say that knowing i had a lot of surgeries but um in high school you know 
at first year I played football, then basketball, then baseball. That was a little bit too much, but being able to play other sports and not just play baseball year round wasn't, you know, didn't get burnt out playing one sport. Um, so it kept everything fresh, but in, yeah, in total, I'm so glad I, and that freshman year of high school was the very first year I played football. I never played growing up. I was playing all the other sports. Um, and that's something I recommend to all athletes is to be that multiple sport athlete, play all of them. You know, you never know which one you're going to fall in love with, which one could be, you know, maybe the one that sticks with you and you can continue to develop and go far. Um, so recommend that. And yeah, love football and miss it. Oh, that's why when I played, maybe I became, I got hit a lot because I, I missed the contact in football. So I got hit by a pitch a lot and ran into walls a lot because I missed that contact. Um, I kind of wish they kept the running over the catcher rule because um, I would have loved that as well. But um, yeah, love, yeah, I think it introduces kids to the weight room earlier too. You know, I think it gets kids, mm -hmm. you know, football's been training way longer than a lot of the other sports. I think it does introduce kids to the weight room, you know, for right or wrong, you know, football programs, not always going to be beneficial for a baseball player, but it does introduce kids to the weight room a little bit earlier too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's always going to help for sure. Yeah. You were a big name coming out. I mean, I was still at JMU when, when you were coming out. Um, I mean, besides UVA, what other schools were you looking at um, in the recruiting hmm. process? Um, JMU for sure. Um, uh, trying to think what other one NC state was up there, Clemson, um, a good amount of others. Um, but you know, the backstory to that is no one was talking to me before my, you know, after my junior year. So basically my first three years, very average as a junior, I think it hit 270, but towards the end of that junior year, read this book, Heads Up Baseball, as I was struggling that junior year, finally it clicked. I went on a summer showcase tour, made the Commonwealth Games, and then the East Coast Showcase. And the only reason that happened is because everything finally clicked. Like I had the, I thought I had the physical skills. Finally, everything came out. And then that junior summer, it clicked, thanks to the book by Ken Revisa, Heads Up Baseball. And then start talking to you, start talking to UVA, all these other colleges. But if I didn't make that mindset shift, absolutely no way you and I'd be talking right now. The career I had, everything would have changed. Um, so, yeah. Mine was a mental game of baseball by Dorfman. And then I started to do progressive muscle. That, yeah. Love I, it too. I started to do progressive muscle relaxation techniques. We had this audio cassette uh, that we, we had a doctor that was our trainer, Dr. Montrestel at Memorial High School. I played for the my high school coach, Coach Don Mattingly also, but just luckily that Coach Montrestel found this peak performance audio, and this is in 1991, I think, wow. 1991. Way ahead of the time. 91, 92, and luckily found both of those, and, and same thing. I was, I was very marginal um, up until my senior year of, of high school, and, and that was all of the mental stuff that, that I was doing. And they carried it over into college, and my teammates mm -hmm. would look at me crazy, like, what are you doing? I'm like, this stuff works. <laughs> like, I'm just, mm -hmm. just, I'll make copies of this cassette tape for you if you want, but I think that's the one thing that helps me more than anything and allowed mm -hmm. me to stay on track. Uh, I think we're always going to get sidetracked as athletes and, and as people, mm -hmm. and those were kind of my go-tos to help me get back on track when I needed to. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, even nowadays, it's talked about more, but if you bring up, mentioned to some athlete who's never even really known much about it they all of a sudden they just think you're like 
someone who's doing yoga or trying to levitate in the Himalayan mountains. It's not that it's you I like to call it the focus gym where you're building those focus muscles where present moment focus in the game of baseball is super important. So that directly translates. So like what you were talking about with the, you know, relaxation techniques and all that, this stuff all translates to on and off the field, which, you know, what else can you ask? I for? still use those techniques. I mean, I speak a lot and I'm out a lot and I still use all of those techniques now. And I think it's a way to allow your best self to show up every day. Not and not you're not never gonna be at hundred percent, but it at mm -hmm. least gets you close to, to your best each and every day to be able to show up when you need it. Mm-hmm. Dude, having those tools is huge, whether it's just utilizing your breath the correct way. Um, it's gonna change how you respond physiology physiologically and psychologically without a doubt. You know, for, for a kid that's going to play college sports, any college sport, female, male, should the expectation be that it's going to be bumpy when you show up on campus? Yeah, the expectation should be it's going to be bumpy all the all the whole journey. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a, a lot of signs in my office behind the screen. And the one I look at all the time and have for a long time, ever since I heard it, it's not supposed to be easy, literally written on there. So whenever, you know, a lot of young athletes, I feel like, I don't know if it's entitlement or whatever it is, they expect, you know, on this hero journey or on this journey to be great, that it's supposed to be easy, that it's not supposed to be challenging. Look at, watch any Marvel movie, your superheroes going through challenges, but that's what makes them stronger. And that's what makes them come out and use everything as fuel for their growth to be great. So whether it's high school, whether it's college, whether it's youth ball, whether it's minors or pro ball, it's supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be easy. So once we shift from resisting that, and now the opposite, we accept it, everything changes. We go from a victim to a warrior mindset, and then we show up as our best self, like you were talking about, more and more consistently because we know it's not supposed to be easy. So I think that's a huge thing, no matter what level you're at. And when they can get this, you know, that mindset and also a win or learn mindset, knowing we're not going to win all the time, going to fall short, going to make mistakes, not going to be perfect. See, the perfectionist, which I certainly, in, in high school, I was this perfectionist with a fixed mindset and absolutely no identity. It's not a good combo. That's not a combo I would recommend those first three years. So I learned a while back, you can be a perfectionist and have very high standards and think you're going to hit them all, or you can be the opposite and be an optimalist, have very high standards, but rub it up against reality, knowing you're not going to hit them all and you're going to fall short and you're going to fail and make mistakes. And when you do that, you then more consistently play free and loose can then pressure melts away because you know, oh, I don't have to be perfect. If I fall, then it's all about learning and rising stronger than I ever have. But if I fall and I don't learn, then I rise the same or weaker than I was before. So using those obstacles, and I like to say it's uh, written on this wristband, ohms. Ops, it's the mantra of major league mindset. Obstacles make me stronger. So obstacle comes your way, challenge comes your way. Thank you, universe. You're literally giving me something to make me stronger right now. If athletes can approach it that way, then that's what happens. But too many athletes, and I was certainly guilty of this at times when I was younger, you, we resist it and we think that shouldn't be happening, but it should. If you're on the true journey to be great and be your best self, it's going to be challenging. And real quick before I wrap it up, a quote that's always stuck with me. On this journey to be great, we're not sidestepping lizards. We're battling dragons. So expect scars and wear them as medals. Yep. Okay. So once athletes realize we're not sidestepping lizards, oh, it's not going to be easy. I'm battling dragons. Okay, good. Bring it on. This is what I train for. I want this. 
It's going to make me stronger. Thank you, universe. Give me all you got. I'm ready for it. So that's how I kind of think about all that stuff. What role do parents play in all this? How can parents help? I think them understanding, I think the biggest thing, taking pressure off the kids, whether it's the car ride home, whether it's the phone call after a game. I was so blessed with a, a father. Because I was going to ask you, how did your parents handle your playing? Yeah. My father was, he he didn't care what I played, first of all. I could go for four or four strikeouts. We didn't even really talk about it in the car ride home, um, unless I brought it up. Um, so I think a, a lot of parents will, you know, make an 0 for 4 game seem, feel like an 0 for 8 because they're, you know, shaming and bashing these, these players. But I think what we want to do is really build them up and give them as much confidence as they can after a tough game. One of the top best managers, too. Joe Madden and Terry Francona. You could be struggling, do all that. He, you come back to the dugout, they're picking you up. They're make, they're building your confidence. So I think as parents, if you, we want our kid, obviously we all want our kid to play great. To help them do that, let's take pressure off them. Let's not scold them. Let's bring them up. Let's build their confidence. And in any way they can do that, that's when their player is going to succeed. They're going to have more fun. And when that happens, they play at their best. Now, you played for a good staff at UVA, but those guys, as as well as I know them, they, they're not scared to challenge people. Like, you know, with that staff there, mm -hmm. they get a lot out of their players, but it, it doesn't always seem like it's lovey-dovey. It's it's more of a challenge. Like, okay, here's what mm -hmm. we need to do. Just talk about that mm -hmm. staff a little bit. They're really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty much the whole staff's there since I was the first recruiting class in 2005. Um, coach K's left, yeah. uh, our pitching coach, but Coach O'Connor, obviously and coach Kevin McMullen um and yeah, coach so, Kirby's been on and off I mean coach Kirby was there he's back you know he's back there mm -hmm. coach Kirby's been there for a long time too yeah so I didn't play with him but he's been there for a long time as well so that says a lot about a program you have that same staff for over 20 years um but yeah I always think of coach Mac with what you just said he he what I loved about him is he he was like that he was like a football coach yeah. um and I absolutely loved it now do some players maybe not respond well to that maybe but i think they do a great job of knowing we're all idiosyncratic we're all wired differently and so they have a good idea of what makes a player tick and i think they've made adjustments through the time and especially since i become their mental performance coach and been down there and interacting you know i see like it's, it's a little different how they go about things but yeah they get the most out of players and they find out what makes a player tick, how hard you got to push them um, to get the most out of them. Um, but I think they do a great job there. As you're going from high school then to, to college, did you change your routines much? I mean, you've got heads up baseball there. You've got the mental game of baseball. Did you change many of your routines once you got to college? Um, yes, not for the better, though. Uh, when I first got there, you know, I had that good senior year. Could have gone to almost, almost any college go to UVA, thought I was exonerated. I, I, I tell this story that, you know, a while back a mentor taught me, Randy, you're never going to be exonerated from three things, pain, uncertainty, and hard work. I thought I was exonerated. I had so much uncertainty those first three years at Herndon High School. Oh, I, now I have certainty. I'm at UVA, a good D1 school. I'm good. Um, I trained my mindset. I'm good now. It's, it's like riding a bike. I trained it once. I'm good. But the fact of the matter is, it's just like hitting up the gym. You don't go to the gym. You don't use it. You lose it. So I didn't use it. I thought I was all set. So freshman year, didn't start right away. Eventually started to play. 
had a very okay uh, freshman year, almost got kicked off the team actually. Um, so just getting acclimated, you know, changing those routines, getting back and recommitting to the mental side of the game is what really helped those next two years. And like you talk about getting back into set routines, time management, energy management, um, all of this stuff combined is what really helped me stop that spiral that happened freshman year of spiraling down, catch myself, get away from that feeling. I was already to a place where I don't need to feel pain anymore, that I, the uncertainty is going to go away. I don't need to work hard on the mental game. There's no there there for anybody. I don't care who we are. So I, I stopped it, spiraled back up and, you know, had pretty good years the next two years. Was that off the field or on the field issues where you almost get kicked off? That was off the field. It's um, usually the first. That's I, I would tell our players that all the time. I'm like, there's there's a few things that if you get into it, it's going to get you out of baseball the quickest. And these are the things that you want to try to stay away from if you can, because they get you out of baseball in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an adjustment getting to college and you see all this. You're on your own. You make your own decisions and parties, all this stuff. So, yeah, but I'm, I had to go through it. It's I'm, called I'm the fresh start effect. That's one of the things that I talk about in my presentation with habit building. It's called the fresh start effect. And so when I try to relay this to coaches, whether you're a high school coach or a college coach, when someone goes to a new environment and their environment's completely thrown off, they can either they develop habits quicker. So their neural pathways reset so you can develop habits mm -hmm. quicker. So it could be good habits but it also could be bad habits. And, and that's what you see on both ends of it. So as a coach, you need to try to get a hold of your young players as soon as you can, as soon as they get on campus, because they could get into bad habits too. So you've got to try to get on top of them to, to help them develop habits quicker. Yeah. yeah. No, I couldn't agree more with that, yeah. without a doubt. Billy Swope drafted you? He did. Mm -hmm. Still doing it. I still see him. I still see him over in Cary. He's still Is doing it. Is he still it. with the Cubs? Yep, he's still doing it. Wow, that's yeah. been a long time. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Love you, that guy. Do you feel like you learned more from your teammates than you did from your coaches? Uh, throughout my career? Yes. It's a good question. Um, yes, and is my answer. I think, yes, I learned a ton, and I learned it. I learned a ton from both. Um, fortunate in the, you know, throughout every level to play with some great teammates. And, you know, I tried to have this humility where I didn't think I had it all figured out. I was constantly looking to learn and grow. And when I say in high school, I had that fixed mindset. I thought that what I had was set in stone, nothing I can do about it. But once I started to develop and cultivate that growth mindset and always, and continue to look for new ways to get better and optimize every single facet of my life, that's when I was asking questions to coaches, asking questions to teammates, watching them, seeing, yeah, I know success leaves clues. So what made this person successful? If it's making him successful, it can make me successful. So constantly looking for new ways. So my answer to you is, man, learn so much from both sides, um, players and coaches. You know, this is a fine line. And, and with from a growth mindset set standpoint, how, how do you kind of know, okay, foundationally, this is working for me, but now I may have to make an adjustment, um, you know, because I think there, there's certain things that I still use that I've used for 20 years, but then I've layered new things on top of that. How do you know that as a person? Like, okay, this is, is working, but maybe I need to make an adjustment on some other things too. I think embodying the virtue of curiosity. Yeah. It's one of the top virtues modern day positive psychology has said is most, you know, 
important for our overall flourishing and well-being. Um, and so what they say, I'm going to listen to because science has proven it. So curiosity, what's Ted working Lasso. well? Yeah, what's working well? What's not working? Okay, what based on what's not working, what do I need to do to fix it? So what I tell all athletes, bring a flashlight and a hammer to the party. So a lot of times athletes, I was guilty of this, we bring the hammer and we shame ourselves. What that lead to? Lack of confidence and self-doubt. So let's bring the flashlight, shine a, shine a bright light on what needs work, what, what's working, that self-awareness piece. Really get curious about it. Don't just do it real quick. Get curious. And then bring the hammer of discipline. Flashlight shows you what you need to fix. Then you bring that hammer, but it's a hammer of discipline, not a hammer of shame. And then when you do that, you get to work. So I don't want to, I'm not here to change how athletes think. I'm here to change how they act and how they live, knowing that when they have new behaviors, that leads to the results they're after. Too many young athletes, and I used to be guilty of this, let their feelings drive the show. And then their feelings lead to weak behaviors and a weak identity. When we let the, get them know who they are at their best and what they do when they're at their best, they have this strong identity on and off the field. Literally, they name it. They gave it a name. I'm a world-class athlete on the field. I'm a world-class person off the field. Then they have top behaviors that they follow, and that leads to the feelings and results they're after. Um, so what I would say to answer your question is virtue of curiosity, bring that flashlight and a hammer. Then you get to the minors. You know, what, What's the next step of routine changes for you then when you get to the minor leagues and then fortunate enough to make it to the big leagues? Well, I got drafted by Billy Swope. Talking about him, he was the only guy that would give me a chance. I, I dislocated my shoulder two days before the Yeah, but it was the, fifth or sixth um, round, wasn't it? Fifth round. <laughs> that's, that, that's not taking a chance. That, that the fifth round Meaning means you, you no got other a chance team. to make it. <laughs> no other team. Yeah, but it only takes one. Would. It only takes one yeah. to believe in you. I dislocated my shoulder sliding into Mitch Canham, the catcher for Oregon State and our regional, all the because we had Sean Doolittle, all the Scouts were there, yeah. dislocated. It came out of the game, couldn't move it, pretty much needed surgery. No one was going to, but Billy Swopes were still going to take him. There's too many red flags for other teams. So I was expecting to go back senior year. So he drafted me. So that first three, four months, I'm just re rehabbing my shoulder. Um, so hey, did that bang ball. your signing bonus back at all because you were banged up? It was still pretty much slot. It was slot. Mm -hmm. but that's so, what, thank you Billy. Billy thank you Billy Billy's and that's the type of person that Billy is like he yeah he wasn't gonna screw you just because you were banged up he was gonna take care mm -hmm. of you Billy's the best yeah yeah so so get in minor ball um once I got healthy I went and man that dislocated shoulder is my lead shoulder hitting it took a year or so to get back and then I actually had an all right year my second year they skipped me high a I go to double a and literally hit rock bottom. I become, um, after 200 at bats, I was hitting 180. I was playing for Ryan Sandberg um, in Double A Tennessee Smokies. They send me down to back to high A. Um, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because now the rest of my career, that was rock bottom. And I bounced back and become, became the Cubs minor league player of the year the very next year. So in my head, I was like, wow. I came back from that. I can freaking, I can come back from anything. Um, so I'm so glad. That's why there's so many silver linings to these obstacles and struggles that come our way. Um, it's not that it's not going to happen. It's going to happen to everybody. It's how you respond to it. Um, and it's all about having that grit, you know, an intense passion, intense perseverance, like Angela Duckworth talks about in her great book, Grit. And when you have that and you know effort counts twice and that what you're born with is just the starting point, your beliefs change, your mindset change, 
and you really can notice that and realize and feel anything is, is possible. So, and and they always yeah. say that the double A jump is the hardest jump. Was it, was it the pitching? Obviously, your guys are throwing harder, but their command of their secondary stuff gets tightened up. Correct. Yeah, that uh, the competition gap shrunk, the game sped up, and the thing is, you know, when I got to UVA, it's our freshman year. I stopped training the mindset. I continue to train it throughout the minor league. So it wasn't like I stopped and I felt I was exonerated. No, I continue to train it. It just goes to show it's part of the process. It's part of the journey that you need to go through times like that. So it just happened because it happened. I think one thing, you know, I, I was playing with guys who I, I didn't really know the comfortability factor, get the double A. I see all these big time arms and I wasn't literally, I wasn't playing every day. It was a challenge, um, but I'm going to just repeat myself on purpose. I'm glad it happened and it needed to happen. Being a role player, though, a little easier to train, though, correct? I mean, you can get a little more time in the weight room if, you, if you're not playing as much, too, though, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, you can. Um, and that was a huge, huge adjustment getting to the big leagues. I, you know, for the most part, especially after that year, I was playing every single day in the minor leagues. So then I get up with the Rays and I'm become this platoon guy. I'm a right-handed hitter just for pretty much just facing lefties. Every now and then they would throw me a bone and let me face a righty. Um, and that became a mental grind because it's like, okay, they're finally giving me a righty. I better have a good game. So trying to get out of that mindset, that's a whole nother story. But um, that platoon, it's, it's rough. When you're playing this game every day, it's hard. When you're playing three times a week, it becomes really hard. And that's where a tool such as visualization or mental imagery, whatever you want to call it, comes in handy because science has proven what we vividly imagine deep vividly imagine closing our eyes and do it it's the same thing to our brain as what we physically do so any player out there who's not playing all the time get those mental reps in also get physical reps stand in on bullpens so you can track balls and really train your eyes and get get in um, rhythm with the pitchers um so that was one of the biggest challenges getting adjusted to not playing every day being that platoon hitter um, it's one of the hardest things to do that coming off the bench to pinch hit, um, takes a lot, it takes a lot. And, um, I still yeah. think that's the best video, the E60 video with Revisa, Longoria and, and mm -hmm. Madden, like that's still the best. Cause it shows when Longoria was hurt, that he was still taking mental at bats, wherever his, wherever his spot yeah. in the lineup was, he was still taking mental at bats, even though he was dinged up. Um, mm -hmm. and I mean, how fortunate were you to get traded to the Rays? Because I, I think, you know, <laughs> I think Madden and, and you said Francona, I think those are two of the best that we've had. I, I really liked Mike Sosha too. I think those are the two of yeah. the best that we've had in the last 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. So I get traded to the Rays and I see the author of this book and I get to say, hey, Ken, seven years ago, you changed my life yeah. when I read that book and the trajectory of my career. Thank you. And then the goat of mental performance, him and Dorfman, you could call, you know, they're the best. Got to work with him one-on-one, -on -one, really lock in my breath, my pre-pitch routine, my in-game routines, where the mental game lives, um, you know, get to control my emotions so I can control my performance, which is one of his famous quotes he would say all the time. Um, so, yeah, getting traded there was a blessing, getting to work with him. And Joe was all, always into that. And then you bring up Francona. He's one of those guys where he's the same no matter what. He always has your back. He's always building you up. He's not tearing you down. Um, so fortunate to play with both of them. You know, how are you handling, are you taking any supplements? I mean, big league schedules long and, and maybe sleep's not always there because the travel nutrition gets hard. Were you mixing supplements in with what you were doing? 
Yeah, good question. And you talking about sleep is huge because I believe that's the number one performance enhancer yes. for any athlete out there, sleep. Um, so supplement wise, I was big on that. Actually, I, I've been into nutrition forever. When I retired, I actually became a sports nutritionist as well. Funny story, before I get into supplements, when I traveled on road trips, whether it was in the minors or in the big leagues, I had a carry-on bag, but it wasn't clothes. It was just healthy snacks and food and supplements. And a lot of people gave me crap, but when they got hungry, they came to me. <laughs> but I just knew that in the clubhouse, there wasn't good food. And we, we're machines. If we, if we want to feel good and have better focus and emotional control, we got to fuel our machine correctly. Um, so I was always into that. And then supplement-wise, like you asked, um, yeah, like whey protein, I think creatine, there's so much Those are my studies two still that I use. Uh, I still yeah. use whey protein and creatine. I still use creatine. Both. Yeah, so good. Um, a greens powder is something else because it's hard to get good nutrition when you're traveling all the time. So athletic greens is a greens powder I really recommend. Um, some melatonin. You know, I'm not telling everyone to take this stuff, but I'm just, just trying to say what I take. Yes, and um, that's so why I asked from a. You know, it's it's all anecdotal. It's what works for the individual. So, may, you know, mm -hmm. my what works for you may not work for somebody, but those are the same ones that I've I've taken over the years too. So. Mm -hmm. I think I'm still doing okay. With yeah, these. they definitely help a lot. Um, and then there, so there's this one supplement out there. And trust me, I know I got to be careful with this because especially yeah, the pro yes. level, you yeah. have to be NSF, sure. make sure it's quality yes. and don't yes. want, you know, all that stuff. But um, for focus and, and really getting locked in this uh, supplement called Alpha Brain yeah. um, by a company called Onnit. Uh, Joe Rogan. <laughs> I remember getting big, traded. Big Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. Getting <laughs> traded to um, the Indians on that playoff run in 16, we, a lot of us would be taking alpha brain before the games. Um, so that's another thing. There's a lot of different supplements, it's in the but new, new tropics it's in that, yes. that family. It's a, yep. it's a neurocognitive yep. enhancer. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you said at the youth summit, you're talking about Jeter and you have to see it before you do it. Was that one of the things that maybe helped you jumping from the minors to the big leagues is actually seeing yourself being there? Yeah. That visualization. Yeah, because when you get into that moment, then it's like, oh, I feel like I've been here. It doesn't mean success, but it means you're putting yourself in that best position. So quick backstory, this when we played uh, the Cubs in the 2016 World Series here, uh, never somehow never faced a Rolders Chapman in my career. And so I knew going into that at bat, if I want, I was being him being a left-handed pitcher, me being a right-handed hitter, I was going to face him a good amount. Um, and if I wanted to put myself in the best position to succeed, I had to get mental reps against him. In every situation, I would even go as far as I'm not even playing. A hitter's hitting, and he pulls an oblique during the at-bat. So I got to go in mid-at-bat and face him. But then also, you know, game seven, bottom of the eighth, two outs. When I did face him, got down 0-2. Cool. Do my pre-pitch routine with my breath while looking at my bat. I feel like I've been there. Okay, I've been 0-2 in my head. Let's go. Bring it, bring it on. Bring it, got it to 3-2, you know, hit hit the RBI double. Um, but with, without a doubt, there's no way the comfortability factor, the free and loose factor would have been there if I didn't have that visualization and feel like I had already been there in my head before. And then lastly, before I finish that, it's what I was saying to myself on deck and in the box. On deck. Um, my heart race, my heart is racing. And I learned this way back when I'm feeling that it's how we perceive it. So when I was younger, I would pe perceive that as why am I nervous? This isn't good. Go away. Instead, then I changed, I learned to change it. Oh, thank you, body. 
you're priming me to perform. I'm not nervous. I'm excited. So then I use my breath. I say, I'm excited. And then three words, I literally said, walking to the plate, bring it on Chapman. This is what I trained for. And you have this free and loose feeling when you really cultivate winner learn mindset. So you're going to go up and have success or you're going to learn. It's not lose. So I didn't think, oh, if I don't come through in the biggest at bat of my life, I'm a failure. I'm all this. None of that was going through my mind. And once again, this is only going to put us in a better position to succeed. It does not in any way guarantee success. Um, but if you can just compete with all you've got every pitch, that's all you can ask for. It's called a lizard brain. So, you know, we have the same neural wiring that we've had since we were cavemen. So it... The, the mm -hmm. brain is going to scan your environment for danger. Like, even though we don't have to worry about getting eaten by a dinosaur now, <laughs> it's still the same wiring that we're working for. So your, your brain's going to scan for, for danger in your environment. And so that's what happens with that anxiety is, you know, mm -hmm. your brain is perceiving it as a dangerous situation. And that's where you have to, to practice this all the time because that, yeah. that anxiety you feel is actually great for performance if you can get oh, it yeah. going in the right direction. You need that. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't have that anxiety, your performance is going to be flat. So like you need it, mm -hmm. but you have to train yourself to know that, okay, I'm not in danger right now. This is mm -hmm. just an exciting opportunity for me to, to go out and perform. Dude, so spot on. And, and, you know, I feel like a lot of people get nervous about being nervous. And I, yes. I remember hearing a quote, anxiety is excitement without the breath. Yeah. So it's excitement without the breath. And then it's changing how you're talking to yourself at the same time. Um, so and by the way, nobody knows if you're nervous. By the way, nobody mm -hmm. like they, they can't they don't know what's inside. They, they have no idea what's going inside of you. So nobody knows if you're nervous or not. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Exactly. So then it becomes how am I going to perceive this right here? I'm approaching adversity or I'm stepping out of my comfort zone or I feel fear. Or I fear anxiety. Now you have a choice. It's a choice point. Are you going to let it get the best of you or do you have a tool and have you been applying it and training it in practice so you can get in game? You can say, ah, just like practice. And when you do that, it goes from tense and tight to free and loose. And I forget the quote uh, Navy SEALs say something along the lines of, um, you don't rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training. Yep. Um, it's everything. So have you been training and practice? A big thing with UVA I've been going over is in bullpen, in cage work, practice that pre-pitch routine. So it becomes autopilot. You don't need to think about it. You just do it, but you need to get a lot of reps to do that. Um, so that's why practicing, like you said, getting as much as you can before you actually get in the game. So when those moments arise, not if, but when they do, you have tools to go to, to handle it. You know, you have your second Tommy John surgery. Did you? I know you tried to play a little bit after that, correct? After your second one? I did, yeah. Get released? I mean, was that kind of the, the okay, I, I need to, to move on to something else here, or were you going to continue to try to go? No. Um, so it, it all started that shift heading into senior year in high school. I saw what it, the mindset change did. So towards the end of my career, even a little bit before that, I knew when it was done, what I wanted to do. It was to use every the gauntlet that I went through, all the mental obstacles, fear, performance, anxiety, 
dealing with the yips on and off throughout my career, getting hit all the time, becoming all-time leader hit by pitches per plate appearance in MLB history. I went through this gauntlet. I better use this platform. I better use the wisdom and, comp and compile a system that's going to empower athletes to be better. Um, so that's how I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I retired. So I'm combining Mike's close to a decade in the big leagues with learning one-on-one -on -one with Ken Revisa, learning from Brian Kane and a system that I don't believe any, I say this in a very humble way that I don't think many out there have, but they can combine that. So that's why I knew right away when I retired, I'm all in. Could I have continued to play? For sure. I feel like I can still play right now, but I don't want to because this is my calling and this is what I'm dedicating my post-playing career to. How did you work through the yips? Challenging. And it's so tough, when people come I to went me, through it a little bit too. You know, it's, um, it's a lot it's, of people, dude. There's so neural rewiring exercises now. Scott Fox um, was on the podcast with me, and then he did a Barnstormers event for us at the Nats Youth Academy. So he actually took mm -hmm. that crew. That video is really good on our website with the neural mm -hmm. rewiring exercises he mm -hmm. takes kids through because that that's shown tapping all the things, skills that are out there, it gets your, mm -hmm. your neural pathways rewired where you're thinking on the, the, mm -hmm. the, the side of your brain you're supposed to. Like that's what happens. Yes. But a lot of that's an injury thing too. Like people don't talk about that as much. You, you get banged up, you mm -hmm. start throwing, you, you know, it's not your normal mechanic, throwing mechanics. So that, that happens a lot after injuries for kids, a lot. Dude, a lot more people, because people don't like to talk about it, deal with that. Yes. So for me, it really started, I had, um, 2012 or 13, I was bunting a ball, ball in the AAA Durham Bulls. I hit the ball hit me here, slashed my finger, had to get stitches, and then for a while I didn't have feeling there. So I'm throwing the ball. I make a couple horrible throws, and boom, it yep. gets in my mind. Yep. And then all of a sudden, the worst part: the long throws, fine for for the most part. It's warming up in between innings. When I'm war warming up with Kevin Kiermeyer or Desmond Jennings when I was with the Rays, yep. that's what terrified me the most. I'm 30 feet away. I'm bouncing balls. I'm throwing it over his head. I, and all I'm thinking is people in the crowd are, this big leaguer can't even throw it 30 feet. And so it was, it was tough. But I went back to my philosophy or my tools. Visualization, that's that neuroplasticity. You're rewiring your brain. Every every choice throughout the day, we're rewiring for the good or for the bad. So I did a lot of visualization, changed the self-talk. At the beginning, when it first happened, all I'm thinking is, oh, God, just throw it good. Don't don't one hop him. It was like a, that hidden mission, like people talk about. Don't, don't, don't throw it over his head. Instead of just play catch, throw it. You know, like when players go up and they strike out their first two at-bats in the game, that third at-bat, a lot of players have a hit admission of just put the ball in play, don't strike out, rather than I'm going up there to crush this ball. It's a completely different mindset. Yeah, so the I focus needs to go from internal to external. Like that that's a way mm -hmm. to get out of it, okay? No longer like, what am I doing? It's okay, I'm going to pick out a spot. If I'm playing catch with Kevin Kiermaier, I'm going to mm -hmm. pick out a spot on his chest. I'm going to try to throw it as hard as I can through his chest. And and I'm mm -hmm. going to get external on this. And, and that's a way to get out of it. But it, it's hard, man. Like if if somebody knew how to, to keep kids away from that. But I, that's why I said with Scott Fox, like his neural mm -hmm. rewiring exercises, he calls it, we're, we're trying to stop filling cavities. So we mm -hmm. need to have a maintenance program every day of doing these practices and these exercises so we don't get mm -hmm. to that point. Um, mm -hmm. but again, it's like anything mm -hmm. else you have to have those skills and you have to learn those skills, but once mm -hmm. you get a maintenance program involved, um, you know, you talked about Oregon state, that was the first time you saw their first national championship. You would see their pitchers tapping in the, in the dugout in between innings. And so like, mm -hmm. that was the first time mm -hmm. you actually saw it. And that was, I think 2003 
where you actually mm-hmm. saw a pitcher in between innings doing tapping in the dugout to, to again, that's a keep the pathways moving in the right direction. Speaking of uh, in the dugout, I remember um, Cal State Fullerton. I think they won the championship in 2004. I'm watching that game on the College World Series, and you go, they had a little toilet in the helmet rack. Yep. They would go there and flush. I'm like, what the heck is happening? Finally, a reporter talked about it, how I think Ken Revisa was working with them. That was their routine, yep. flush it routine. Negativity comes, let's flush it, let's learn from it, flush it away get back to flip the switch, get back to the present moment. So that's huge having routines like that. But one quick thing about- I still uh, had ours from Brian Kane. I mean, we had, we had the mini one. When I was at Iowa and then Western Illinois, we had the mini toilet too that we got mm-hmm. from Kaner. Love it, man. Those That's where the mental game lives. So having those routines in game, that's probably the most important time to have set routines. Um, back to visualization. Self-talk, I think, is everything. It's the number one thing in our control. And it's going to help that- external focus like you're talking about i always like to think of the two wolves like which one are you feeding they're battling all day every day good bad powerful powerless positive negative which one are you taking control of in feeding and which one are you starving and that makes a huge difference of what stacking odds in your favor or stacking odds against you so early on with those yips when it first started to happen i'm feeding that negative fearful powerless wolf because that's all i'm thinking about is messing up and changing that self-talk and really feeding that powerful wolf helped a lot. And a quick story about that. Brad Miller came on the Major League Mindset program um, a couple months ago. He was telling a story when he was at Clemson in 2009 or 10. His sophomore year, he was statistically the worst shortstop in the nation. He led the nation in errors. Junior year, he won the Brooks Wallace Award for the top shortstop in the nation. So I asked Brad, what did you change? He said, dude, nothing physically, my self-talk. I would be in big games and ACC games sophomore year when I led the nation in airs. Don't hit the ball to me. I don't want to make an air. Just don't, don't boot it. Don't mess it up. Junior year. I said, I'm a vacuum vroom, vroom, hit the ball to me. So we went from defensive to offensive and attack mentality. He changed how he talked to himself and that's what led him. And he's going to do his 10th year in the big leagues right now. So that's the power of self-talk. And hit really it to me. I think control. is the best verbal. I've said that uh, hit it to me is the best defensive verbal pre-pitch that you can tell yourself, hit it to me. It gets you aggressive and anticipating the ball coming to you and, mm-hmm. and allows you to flow mm-hmm. through errors and mistakes. And uh, hit it to me, I think is the best breast pre-pitch saying that you can say. Hey, Without any depression once you got finished? I mean, once you're done playing and baseball gets taken away from you, did you deal with any depression at all? Man, I'm so fortunate. I already knew what I wanted to do and not at all, not at all. And I, and a big part of that, because I know this is this stuff is huge nowadays with sports and off the field. I mean, suicide rates are at the highest ever. It's a challenging time. That's why. And what I try to get across to kids and parents, I'm not just trying to make you a better player. I'm trying to make you a better person. And I've told coaches you're training, saving lives with all this stuff. You're saving lives. And, and just mm-hmm. for people listening in. It's in my presentation. In 2020, there were 47,000 suicides. There were mm. 24,000 gun deaths. Um, mm-hmm. Now, 80% of those gun deaths are suicides. And 70% mm. of it's white males from the, the 14 to 24-year-old range and the 44 mm. to 55-year-old range. So, mm-hmm. you know, 75, 70% of that 47 is white males. And so I, I try to tell coaches, I'm like, hey, with this stuff, it's not just an on the field thing, it's an off the field thing from a mental health, mental health component where you need to introduce yeah. this stuff to your players because you are gonna save somebody's life at some point. The last couple of years yeah. at Western Illinois, I, I was walking more players to our counseling center than I ever had before. And so we would have our counseling center come in and talk to our team. 
That was mm-hmm. one of our classroom sessions is, is our counseling mm-hmm. center would come and talk to our team. That way they knew, knew who the counselors were. And then we would walk them to the counseling center so they knew, okay, here's where you go. If you're, if you're struggling, this is the place where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Man, that's huge. I, I, I wish every team would do that. You know, um, and when you bring that up, um, speaking of just being intrinsically motivated to be a better person, to create meaningful relationships, to be a better service to the community, that's what we're too many athletes are playing the wrong game and extrinsically motivated for fame and social media followers and wealth, thinking that when they get that, they're going to be happy. Science has proven, whether it's with lottery winners or whatever it is, that doesn't bring happiness. It's internally motivated. And then a lot of that extrinsic stuff comes your way. And I always think of this book, Legacy by James Kerr. He details the All Blacks rugby team, the winning highest, best sports franchise of all time, winning percentage wise at 86%. Their motto is better people make better All Blacks. So better better people make better baseball players, make better softball players. And the same skills and tools and and character they're going to develop and mindset they're going to develop that's going to help them thrive and flourish off the field then directly translates those same skills, tools, character, and mindset help them thrive and handle the tough times that are going to come their way off the field. Um, So it's more important now than it ever has been, without a doubt. Hey, who nudged you to do this? Because this is tremendous, by the way. Who nudged you to do the workbook? Um, who nudged me? Um, trying to think. So I, I went through a coaching program called Optimize. It's now called Heroic. And they had a lot of worksheets. And I actually have a whole workbook. Look at my stack of workbooks. I was big pen to paper. So I, hundreds of worksheets, I would write stuff down. And then I reached out to them. And I was like, who did you use for these? And so they put me in t- touch with a lady named Yasmin from Germany. She's a visual design expert. So I teamed up with her, brought the program to life. Sure. I know that a lot of players are visual learners. Um, so that's that's really how I got. I like the simplicity of it. I like the visuals and it's very good. It's uh, very professional. It looks tremendous. So appreciate that. Thank tremendous. you. Hey, talk about your tattoos. Yeah, I, I'm not in that generation, but I think we are in that generation now where tattoos speak to people. And so mm. you know, I never could pull the trigger on one. I probably would have gotten <laughs> one if something would have spoke to me. But talk about your tattoos a little bit. Yeah. So the one main tattoo is a reminder to me to practice my philosophy. So it's the one word that could summarize the entire major league mindset program. It's a Greek word, arete. It means excellence if you were to Google it, but I've come to learn the deeper definition of it means to express the best version of yourself moment to moment to moment. But the key is never perfectly, but more and more consistently. So helping athletes, who are you at your best? What do you do when you're at your best? okay, let's connect with, let's embody, let's act and live like that version of us, knowing we're not going to be perfect. But when we do that, we show up at our best more consistently. And then the ultimate game I talk about is closing the gap, who you're capable as a person and player and who you're actually being. When that gap is wide because of behaviors or habits or lifestyle choices, regret, depression, mental health concerns, uh, poor performance lies, because you're capable of this, but you're actually being this. So then when you live with arete, in excellence, but really master the process of closing the gap as you express that best version of yourself. That's what happens. And really, um, I put it here for that constant reminder to me when I'm home with my three young kids and my wife at the end of the day, when I'm not being, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm not connected to that best version. I'm being off. I'm not being patient. 
I really look at it and I touch it and I just connect with my best version. So athletes, when they come through the program, if they don't get this wristband that has all the mantras on it, they write under their hat. One of the most popular is them writing Arate. I've had players stitch Arate in their Rawlings glove. I've had them create license plates on their cars that say Arate. So many kid got a tattoo Arate. Um, so that one word, I know you, I just kind of wanted to talk about this tattoo because it's, it's changed my life learning about it and, and trying to embody it. Um, so when did really you have that on? When did you have that put on? What year? Two years ago. Two years ago. So it's recent. Yeah, what, I got a tattoo what age was your first, that I knew about it, but I just write one? it. What age was your first tattoo? Senior year in high school. I actually got seam, baseball seams. Yep. You can see them right here. Yep. And that's all I had for a while. And then I added stuff to this. But um, yeah, that was my first one, senior year of high school. You know, I always ask about fail forward moments. And like, you've had a lot of them. Um, you know, so we've talked about a million of your fail forward moments already. Do you feel like... You know, Tommy John at 12, where you have to handle adversity. Do you feel like that helped you getting a taste of adversity at a really young age? It's a good question. Yeah, I think that was the first taste um, of true, real adversity. Um, I always go back to, I think, the the first three years at Herndon High School when, you know, football-wise, I was doing pretty good, but baseball-wise. And then my identity, I talked about being a perfectionist with a fixed mindset and no identity. I struggled off the field big time those three years too, because I was just taught my identity. I'm just beast athlete. That's all I am. So then when I struggled on the field, directly translated off the field, I wasn't fun to be around, um, schoolwork, you know, struggled, all that stuff. And so like, but going through that, if I didn't, I don't know if I would have ever gotten as deep into the mental game and overall mindset and mental fitness or mental health, whatever you want to call it that I did. So of all the fail forward moments, it's those first three years of Herndon that um, always stick out to me. Did you continue to work out after you were done playing or did you shut working out down for a while? No, never. I am. I'm a huge believer that physiology drives psychology way more than people think. Yep. So we want to be strong mentally. We got to be strong physically. So yep. no, I've been doing Spartan races um, I feel like personally I'm in the best shape I've ever been in. I do the cold tub every night. I'm all in. I'm uh, yeah. I always ask routine. Time. So, you know, go through your cold tub protocol. Mm -hmm. So basically every day, um, after I work out, I first go into the sauna, uh, 158 for about 20 minutes. So I do a hot, cold contrast. Then I walk out, get in the cold tub for five minutes, 26 seconds at 41 degrees. Um, if I'm going to be exact. And then I, Sometimes I go back in the hot or the sauna and then go back in the cold tub or I just finish in the shower. Um, so that's how that that is. Hey, what um, lets you know you're you're going to get back in? You're going to go another round. I, I just try to do it two, three times a, a week like that. Um, yep. It's not based on how I'm feeling because I try to I never want to get in that cold. tub. <laughs> and I don't I don't. It's freaking cold. I set it as low as you can possibly get it on this one. I know some go lower, but this is low. So that's where the actions over feelings yes. and I, this on my wristband, bring it on and acting in the presence of fear, you know, getting uncomfortable you know, trying to get as uncomfortable as I possibly can as much as I can in life. Um, cause it's, and that's a dopamine thing too. Um, you know, the, the hard part with humans now is everyone is on a dopamine deficit, uh, through phones. And, and so the, the cold exposure is a way to get mm -hmm. your dopamine levels back. Um, mm. and, and it's actually, it shows that it's the uncomfortable piece 
is what brings about the dopamine hit. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody wants to focus on dopamine as a pleasure. It's mm -hmm. actually more related to a pain response than it is to mm. a pleasure response. So if, if you're if you're dragging, try to get yourself in an uncomfortable situation and it'll probably increase your dopamine. Yeah, a lot of times you jump out of there, you feel like a different person. I don't know many people besides maybe Wim Hof that want to go into the cold. Uh, yeah, but again, that's a training thing with him too. He's been doing it forever. Like he, he's used mm -hmm. to it and his breathing yep. exercises do work. Like if you're going to do cold oh. exposure, those mm -hmm. things prepare you to, to get into cold exposure. Like the, his breathing mm -hmm. is, is awesome. Yes, awesome. without a doubt. What other resources, especially we got some young parents, um, players listening in, what other resources should they dive into? Ooh, good question. Um, the books we talked about, um, Brian Kane has a great mental performance podcast, daily podcast. I would recommend that. Um, who else has great podcasts? Zach Sorensen, he's a former big leaguer, has a great podcast. Played and against Zach in college. He was at Wichita when I was at Evansville. Yes. Yes. So he has, he has a great podcast. There's so many good resources out there. Um, that's a good thing about, you know, back in 2004, there was heads up baseball and some Harvey Dorfman stuff. It wasn't really talked about. People didn't like to talk about mindset. It was like a, you're showing weakness kind of thing. Um, but nowadays it's talked about so much. So what I would say, whether it's fear, anxiety, anything holding you back, talk about it, yep. reach out, you know, to someone have a support system don't let it just fester inside of you and know deep down you can train your mind just like you train your body. It takes effort. It takes structured training, but you can do it. And on the other side of it is something special. Um, so that's what I would say. What are some final thoughts or something I should have asked you that I didn't? Oh, man. Good question. Um, okay, I think you, good. Dude, you, you nailed everything. I, maybe I'll talk about confidence. Can I talk yeah, about that? Yeah, for sure. Yes. Um, so confidence is... Um, obviously, every athlete and every person in general, they perform better when they feel confident. But the thing is, we rely on feeling confident instead of creating confidence. So confidence, the, it comes from a Latin word confidere, which means intense trust. But that kind of intense trust isn't given. Athletes, ballplayers, they need to earn it. And I believe they earn it by learning how to fail well, by approaching fear and saying, bring it on, by stepping out of their comfort zone, by having set routines, by eating and sleeping and breathing and having great overall self-discipline, by controlling the controllables, and then by living with Arte and closing the gap. You earn that trust by doing what you say. So if you say you're going to do something and you do it, just like in any relationship, you become impeccable with your word with yourself, you earn trust in yourself. A lot of young athletes rely on results for confidence. I've been there plenty of times, but we can get to the point where we show up and we do the hard when many want to do the easy, then we create confidence. And that spiral that happens or with UVA last week, I talked about the equilibrium game. Who, no matter who you are, you're going to get knocked off center. The best of the best get back to center better than the rest. So do you have the confidence? Do you have the mindset? Do you have the tools needed to help you get back to center and spiral back up? So just knowing confidence, we don't need to rely. It's not really a feeling. It's something you do. It's at your actions that you take. Um, so I want to just talk about the confidence piece real quick. Brian, I appreciate you jumping on with me, man. This is tremendous. So thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you, Ron. Great to see you. I want to wish everyone a great start to the preseason and a successful spring season. Hopefully you picked up a few things that will help your organization in this episode. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Jim Richardson, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all the help on the podcast. 
feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Coach B underscore ABCA, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Set me free. You set me free.